There we go. That should fix it. I can't tell you how many times I have run into this same issue where Streamlabs just changes my microphone's setting to something else. So it'll say default and then give me about 50,000 numbers or digits, and I have no idea what that is, but it doesn't work. It happens at least once every couple of weeks, no matter what I do to try to fix it. So I apologize for the moment or two of silence at the beginning there. Welcome back to another Merged Worlds uh, Dungeons & Dragons story episode. This is episode 102, I believe. Uh, today will again be a little bit on the shorter side. Um, I'm sorry that this was uh, postponed last week and moved to this week. Uh, I had run into some issues with sorting out kind of how I wanted the next part to go. And I'm still working through it a little bit. Um, but I have uh, what I need to do to set up what's coming. And uh, next episode will likely be a little longer because of this one being shorter. Uh, but this one is more preparation for what's coming. We'll be continuing with... Um, uh, the, the characters in Serenity themselves, uh, Mercy, Dandy, Artemis, and of course Darsh is there currently. When we last left off last episode, um, the heroes, if you will, uh, had just brought together and gathered the, their spouses, their significant others, and finally told them the truth of what they had been uh, hiding from them, which was the information they'd learned from the man in the hat, a.k.a. Deacon from the future, um, as to, A, his identity, and B, yes, B, <laughs> uh, what the future held for their children, why they'd made the decisions they had. Um, where we're going to pick up today is uh, probably four or five days after that. Um, uh, Darsh had come with his wife, Lyra, to Serenity, using the magical mirrors, um, portal that both he and Serenity share between his home and theirs. Um, the way those portals work, if you'll remember, uh, once you go through the mirror, you cannot go back through it for 30 days. So he and his wife Lyra are in Serenity for a month before they're going to be able to return. Um, and so they're there kind of hanging out. Um, again, as a, just a reminder, when they shared everything everyone knew, it still wasn't everything. Um, Artemis did not share with anyone else the true identity of the Black Rose, uh, something that only she and Draven are aware of at this point. Um, but if you'll remember, after hearing everything, Draven just basically got up and left uh, not just the building, <laughs> but Serenity in general. Because, uh, you know, he's dedicated 20-plus years to protecting his family and finding this person he thought was their greatest threat, only to find out that he, in fact, was someone there to help somewhat or save them. And that the true enemy, the true person out there, who at this time uh, is trying to, I guess you could say, ruin the lives, if not kill his son, is someone else altogether. So that's 20 years uh, wasted, kind of, if you will. And that's something that he's having to deal with personally. Um, so we're going to start with a little bit of reading, and then we're going to be really kind of jumping into what's going on. We're going to talk a little bit, uh, just a little bit of a, a retouch as well as we're going through there, 
about Serenity and the lands around Serenity. There are some things around Serenity that we've used in the past but have not popped up in a while. If you remember, there's a lot of different towns uh, that make up the kingdom of Serenity other than the city of Serenity itself. And some of these areas and these things are going to come back into play for this next section of the story. So a brief reminder, if I go a little detailed into some of that, you're like, I already knew this. Well, some folks might not remember. It's been a while since this stuff has come up. Uh, so again, like I said, a little bit on the shorter side this week, but hopefully you'll enjoy the story, um, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing where it goes. Okay? So, again, that's where we're starting off. About four to five days after the spouses have learned exactly who the man in the hat is and what information he had shared with them. Uh, again, remember as well that right before that, what initiated this whole ball rolling is that the Emperor of Oromon had he himself come to the border of Serenity uh, claiming to want peace. And that in itself, uh, very circumspect. Uh, so with everything going on, they felt it was time that more information had to be shared. But with that said, let's uh, go ahead and jump on in and start with a little bit of reading, and then we'll get into some more details. So, Things were different now. Mercy and her friends felt a sense of urgency in everything. Now that their spouses knew the truth about Seraph and their children's futures, their worry and fears for their safety had increased tenfold. Their children had been gone over a year now, and their locations and conditions were unknown. Merged Worlds was massive, and it was impossible to find them on their own. And again, a reminder of the size of Merged Worlds. You know, they... Heroes here have traveled all around Oromon and the Southern Kingdoms and Koromen, which is the Dwarven Kingdom and the Elven Kingdom and all that. And then the children have gone really far at this point, both groups, to the east, right? So they're traveling a great distance along what is known as the Central Sea. Because the Central Sea is a massive ocean that is at the center of what is this world. Because you have to remember, this world is not round. <laughs> this world is shaped like a chalice. It's flat on top, and the water falls off. The rock and earth uh, kind of comes down some and then widens out at the bottom. The water comes off the side of the ocean, falls hundreds and hundreds of miles, at which point it then comes down almost like bowls underneath. Now, I want to stress there's no physical thing inhibiting this. There's no, they're not trapped in glass or anything like that. It's just the way that the this so entity, this plane works. The water bowls at the bottom and then comes back up through the center of the world, coming out into that central sea, which feeds water to all the surrounding lands uh, around it. Uh, it also, as it comes up through the center, breaks off. Uh, the, the, the land itself is very porous and sponge-like, so water will break off and come up in different locations as well, which feeds lakes and rivers and streams and so on and so forth throughout Merged Worlds. Um, all the land that I've discussed in Merged Worlds is a microscopic <laughs> uh, piece of what really exists. Merged World was always intended to be bigger than you could imagine. Uh, not only does that give me so much room to play with when creating stories and adventures, but it gives me that opportunity to write D&D uh, adventures for maybe other groups at different times in my life uh, in completely different sections of Merge World. 
without having to worry about everybody always overlapping or running into each other. Because that gets a little silly sometimes when everybody always overlaps. But I'm, 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 a, I'm a big fan of a nice cameo now and again, but uh, try not to keep it uh, too often. But anyways, so the kids are just out there. They have no idea, the parents, of how to find them. Uh, potentially, magically, maybe. Uh, they might have a way of casting a spell of some kind. Ooh, camera's foggy there. Um, to try and track down the kids. But you remember, Seraph, when he left, took an amulet that was his father's that hides him from being, uh, anyone from being able to scry his location or read his mind or take over his mind. That's, that amulet has that power. And as soon as they got Dina, he put it on her. Um, because his mindset would change at that point, right? He, he didn't want to be found. He didn't want someone to stop him, a.k.a. mostly his father or parents, stopping him from going after the woman of his life and, and bringing her home. Once he got her, now he doesn't want any of the people hunting her to find her. But he would be okay with his family popping up now, right? Uh, allies or someone popping up uh, saying, hey, we finally tracked you down, we're here to help. That would be beneficial because he wants to bring her home. But the way that they're being chased by Oromon and the other events, it just keeps pushing them further and further away. Um, so that's you know clearly a concern. Um, could the parents magically scry for them? Possibly. Um, they may have even mentioned it at different times, but they would have been talked out of it from their spouses because the spouses, you know, Mercy, Dandy, Darsh, and Artemis knew more of the truth about what was going on, and they knew they were not supposed to interfere with their children's path. It was imperative that the children walk their own paths, um, and which is why they, were, they kept it from their uh, significant others for so long. But, again, they're out there in the world. they got no way to find them. Really. Right now, Mercy had more pressing concerns, though. Oromon, her most constant enemy, was in a state of limbo. She continued to reinforce her western borders and recruit more men. The Emperor's words, however, however hopeful, could not be depended on. So she's still, hey, roll call, <laughs> we are hiring people. <laughs> now, <laughs> now hiring, big inflatable wavy hand guy. Um, they know that they're, they believe... Mercy and Ulrich and those in charge of Serenity, that there's a possibility that this is all a cover story and Oromon's going to cause problem. Oromon is being reforged under this new emperor. Whether or not what he says is true, if he's going to be benevolent or helpful or does in fact want peace, or is going to end up being lying and this is all a ruse, too early to tell. But Oromon has been too long a thorn in their side that they have to prepare for the worst. So it's all about anybody they can get a hold of to help now she had sent word to the other leaders of the southern kingdom, sharing the news and her thoughts. It was too soon for a reply, but she trusted they would be as cautious as she. Now the southern kingdoms, you've got to remember, when they, when they first started to forge together right after Merge Worlds, before they knew what all of Merge Worlds was, they thought that the central sea was originally called the southern sea, because they thought that was the bottom of the world, and it's just so huge, no one was able to ever cross it. So they became the Southern Kingdoms, and that name is stuck. Paxawal and Serenity being two of them. Thoramon um, uh, is another one. Thoramon is the lands to the west of Paxawal. Our heroes are technically considered nobles there for helping to save the king and so on. As well as um, Arjuel, where King Christopher lives. Uh, Kronayar, which is the Minotaur Kingdom. 
uh, Darshtopia, it's, it, which is Darsh's own lands, is all horse part of that. Uh, uh, Koromin, which is the dwarven nation far to the uh, east of Arduel. And then smack dab between Koromin and Arduel is Santriel, which is the elven kingdom, which is the newest member um, of the whole group. But the one other founding member early on was also King Firemoon, who is slightly north, but mostly east of Serenity. So this whole section, there's not really any area between these kingdoms where there is another nation present. Except one. We're going to talk about that in a second. But you got to think, these lands, uh, with, with, with the size of merged worlds, there's a lot of open ground between some of these kingdoms. That is unclaimed, or may just have small villages or towns or farmsteads, things of that nature, um, who don't fall under any type of fealty. But there's no other great kingdom or major leader. There may be small towns with their own mayors and so on, who may even call themselves lords and such. But um, nothing that could cause any threat to any of those kingdoms, or especially the southern kingdoms when combined together. The one exception to that group is an area of the world that nearly all of them ignore. And that is a swampy dead magic zone uh, just almost directly between Paxawal and Serenity, but a little bit more to the east. So it's not straight lines, a little bit on the side. This, of course, uh, which is New Gully, where the Gully Dwarves live, and Fig is the leader. Um, very few people know that this exists. That, that, that the Gully Dwarves, it's known Gully Dwarves live in there, but no one knows to the number and the fact that they are not just regular Gully Dwarves at this point. They have weapons. They have learned to fight and to protect themselves. Fig has been teaching them this for 20 plus years at this point. There's a, there's a lot of time in there. Um, and they are their own little nation. Now, all of the leaders of the Southern Kingdoms know this. This is information that would have been given to them. Hey, stay out of this land. They are their own group people. They don't want to be in League, but they're also not going to be a problem. And to be honest, most of you don't want to go there anyways because none of your magic works. And there's nothing there of, like, value to anyone. Which is probably not true. You walk into that area, smack dab in the middle of that swamp is a destroyed post-apocalyptic New York. I'm sure there's some stuff in the rubble that if people got their hands on or down in vaults or whatever, it could cause some problems. Uh, and perhaps the gullies have found some of those things and uh, are already at this time finding ways to make use of them. Uh, that's for the future to tell us. Uh, but that is the only section that's within that kind of southern kingdom's border that's not officially part of the southern kingdom. So I did want to touch on that because I did get a question on that very recently. So again, I said she sent words to all the other Southern kingdoms. They have ways of communicating. Here's what Ormond's told me. Here's what I think about it. Has he reached out to you? What are your thoughts on the idea? Um, it's too soon to get a response back yet, but you know she's waiting. Now, the Brotherhood of Magic had already begun increasing their presence in this area. Ormond's hatred of mages and magic had long been a threat to them as well, making them one of Serenity's closest allies. Right? There's a there's a tower, part of the Brotherhood of Magic in Serenity. There's also one in Paxawal. There's also one in Arduel. Thorman is getting, or Thorman is having one built. It is in construction now. Kingdom of Firemoon does not have one. They don't want one. And neither does Santriel, and neither do the dwarves. The dwarves have their own little thing. 
but the Brotherhood is still viewed as an ally of the Southern Kingdoms. They're very closely knit with that, um, but they have been long allies with Serenity, and the Battle Mage program Mercy Began there has really, really flourished. So uh, they work real well together. And finally, of course, there was the Thieves' Guild. The Guild had become increasingly active as of late, and even after 20 years, Mercy was frustratingly no closer to finding out the true identity of the Black Rose. You know. But Mercy doesn't, and the fact that the Guild is becoming more active, now when I say more active, thefts and things, robberies, uh, not primarily within Serenity itself, but you have to imagine, you know, uh, caravans, things of that nature. Uh, they've even maybe even some assassinations, such of that. Um, Mercy has never feared being a target. The guild has never targeted her or any of her friends. Definitely no one in the temple. We know why, but, you know, Mercy doesn't. Um, but the, well, because of the inconvenience of the Thieves' Guild is definitely been increasing as of late. All of this and more ran through Mercy's mind as she sat on her throne watching Ulrich talk with the Traders' Guild. Ulrich was a gifted diplomat, much better than she at dealing with such folk. It was an area she depended on him greatly. Right? Mercy's a warrior. She knows what needs to be done. She's a decision maker. Strategically, she's on top of all of that. Uh, being nice and working out trade agreements and uh, you know, the laws and so on and so forth, Ulrich takes a care of a lot of that day-to-day -day stuff. And, of course, she's involved in it, of course. Um, but when it comes to, you know, meeting with an ambassador or things of that nature, uh, very often he'll step up and kind of take the lead of that. He was originally a Knight of the Light, remember? He, was, he left that group to come serve Mercy. Uh, but he would have been raised among nobles in that way of diplomacy and democracy and all that kind of stuff. So he's got a little bit more knowledge and experience there. Now the room fell silent a moment as the doors opened and Darsh entered. Darsh, too, was a gifted diplomat. His dealings with the nations of the Central Sea had made him an incredibly wealthy man and a voice of quite a bit of influence. Even though Mercy could see a few small patches of gray in his fur, he was still an awe-inspiring sight. He was still as strong and muscular as ever, and he wore his many battle scars proudly. Darsh picked up one of the larger chairs and set it next to Mercy, sitting beside his friend. So... Minotaurs come through here quite often, Darsh specifically. So there's going to be some, chars, some chairs, you know, you got the tables with regular chairs. There's going to be some chairs set aside, maybe up against walls or whatever that anybody can sit in, that might be a little more Minotaur-sized, meant to, to handle, you know, I don't want Minotaur to sit in a chair and then it shatter and they fall on the ground in the middle of some type of important conversation. It can be embarrassing for all. So there are some heavy-duty chairs there as well. And Darsh uh, has free run of the king. No one would ever try to deny Darsh access to anywhere in the keep. Uh, Mercy's pretty much given him the golden ticket. It's like, listen, he says something, you just imagine it's coming from me. You do what he says. Um, and he just grabs a chair and slides it right over next to the throne, right? Not down next to the tables where anybody else is. He just grabs it, pulls it up, sets it next to the throne, and plops himself down to chat with Mercy. Uh, that's how comfortable and familiar he is in this situation. And so much so that everyone in the room sees him walk in, grab a chair, sits down, like, yeah, okay, that's just Darsh. And they go back to their conversations because it's just commonplace. Darsh has been here many times back and forth over the last 25, 30 years as Serenity has grown to become the kingdom that it is. 
Sorry, need a drink. Okay. So, Mercy and Darsh just kind of start talking a bit at first. And one of the first things she asks him is like, Hey, how's Lyra doing? I don't see her with you. Is she all right? Because it's been a few days now since everybody heard everything. And a lot of Darsh and Lyra and Michael and Dandy, especially Artemis and Draven, they've kind of been away talking and some dealing through this, there hasn't been a lot of overlapping conversation with Mercy. Ulrich knew beforehand. She told Ulrich at the border keep right after they spoke with the with Ormon. He, she wanted him to know immediately so that it would be a little bit easier to broach the subject with the other uh, significant others. And Ulrich didn't bat an eye. To him, he's like, okay, I get it. I don't like that there's bad things about our kids. I don't like this so on and so forth. But I 100% trust your judgment. You know, Ulrich, before they, before they were married, or he became king. He served. He was the head of her knights. He, he originally had no intention of, you know, falling in love and, and becoming a spouse to her. But, you know, from the moment, he, he chose to follow her specifically for those reasons. I 100% trust you are doing what is best. I know you love our daughter. I know you would not do anything that would increase her danger of putting into harm. You did what you thought was best. Uh, so he backs her up 100%. Lyra very much the same way um, when it comes to Darsh because again same situation you know they they are a partnership they built a huge basically kingdom of their own with Darshtopia and uh, she trusts his judgment 100% obviously we know Artemis and Draven were going to be the the hard kicker there because it's Draven it's their kid that's kind of the key to all this and the one that's under the most amount of threat um and then lastly is Dandy and Michael. And Dandy and Michael are in the oddest situation of all of the, the parental groups here. Um, with the exception, of course, of Quan and Kara, his wife. Because Kara would never question Quan. Not for any other particular reason, but Quan makes those decisions. The way that that is very traditional. Not in a negative way. I mean, she definitely has a say in her child's Wait, so on and so forth. He would never just that. But Quan is a secretive person specifically because of his job, right? He's head of spies for Serenity. He does all, almost all the most dangerous stuff in the non-adventurous times. When you know, Other than when Darsh and Mercy and Dandy and Artemis are out doing an adventure, fighting a dragon or whatever the case it is, he's the one out putting his life in danger for Serenity. Um, so secretive is part of what he does. And she knew that when they got married for every kid. He's like, hey, I love you, but because of my duty, there's going to be a lot of things I'm not going to be able to tell you, ever. You may never find out some of these things and some of the things I've had to do. I'm going to disappear sometimes for weeks, maybe even months at a time, because that's what I do. That's what I do to protect this kingdom. That's my role. And so walking in, knowing that there's things he had to keep from her, that is not a surprise. That is just a part of the way that their life has to work due to the nature of the dangerous roles that he's taken in Serenity. But Michael and Dandy uh, are an odd situation in this because there's so much that they don't know about each other, right? We know that Dandy's also the Black Rose. Michael knows this, but Michael keeps it from Dandy. And how much information does the Black Rose have or know that he would she never shares with Michael? She has no need to. They have an agreement. I'm not going to put. I'm not going to do anything to try to harm Dandy. You stay out of my way. You know this is this is how our life works. Michael is in a very hard spot to be in 
because he's, you know, torn between two identities in his wife's body. Um, and so to learn that this is out there and that it's actually Dandy that's keeping it, that's kept it hidden is, is going to be a bit of a surprise. But there's no way Dandy can keep it hidden from Rose. So Rose knew this, and Rose has taken her own steps uh, in this storyline, as, as many of you know. So um, there's a lot going on there. So Michael, probably not happy to hear about this, but also not surprised that there's just so much stuff going on that they have to keep from each other. He, he just can't, he's not the type of guy to be a hypocrite and be like, how dare you keep something from me, knowing what he knows about Dandy's other personality. Um, he just couldn't do that. Wouldn't be how he rolls. So, Darsh, you know, talking with Mercy, is like, yeah, Dandy and Lyra have gone to the temple to see Artemis. Again, it's been a few days. They want to check in on their friend. Uh, and Lyra uh, wants to uh, make prayers and so on and so forth. Uh, they are a religious family. They quite commonly go to temple. They have one on Darshtopia. And when they're in the mainland, Krone are, they uh, frequent the temple there as well. It's how their daughter got down her path to become a paladin. Um, so Darsh has always been a uh, spiritual guy. His wife is no different. They're very hardcore, realistic business people, uh, but they still, you know, pay their tithes. Um, so Lyra wanting to, you know, ask the gods to look over her daughter now that she knows even more about what's going on. Quite understandable. Um, Plus, again, no one's really heard from Artemis other than they heard that Draven left and they know their friend's hurting, but with everything going on, Mercy hasn't had a lot of opportunity to meet with her. Mercy, of course, as we said, knew that uh, he was going to take it the hardest. Artemis knew that beforehand when they decided to do this. They're like, you know he's going to have a problem with this. And Artemis is like, oh, I know. Um, but as they talk about it, you know, Mercy's like, yeah, we knew he'd take it the hardest. And Dar says, yeah, but he's a smart man. He loves Artemis. He'll come through it. He probably just needs some time. I mean, it's, it's a lot to be thrown on him and and to be honest, it's his kid at the center of all of this, so I mean, he's going through a lot. And Mercy, of course, agrees, but is still a little worried. Then they start talking about the situation that's going on in back in Darstopia. You know, you're here with Lyra. How are things in Darstopia? And he's kind of giving her a bit of a rundown on how things are working there. Majority of the day-to-day -day work is now being taken care of by Jorn, who's his uh, second-in-command, uh, who's his assistant for the long time, um, in many ways now as a business partner and owns great land and wealth himself, as well as Tyrion, who is his eldest son and Maeve's twin brother, who's older by just a few minutes kind of thing. Um, Tyrion and Jorn handle most of the business. Tyrion was raised where, where, where Maeve was very much into the church and her path to become a, a that was going to be a cleric and then became a paladin, Tyrion's path has always been in business. Um, and it's something that he's taken well to. He has a very good head for business. And, uh, of course, learning under Darsh and Jorn, now he and Jorn handle a lot of the day-to-day -day stuff, freeing up Darsh to work on other things, such as the, once again, upcoming Darshtopian Games. The Darshtopian Games will be coming up in two years. Remember, they do that every six years. Um, and they're already preparing, trying to add new spectacles and things, and they spend a little time talking about that as well. Um, but everything they talk about and they try to take their minds off, 
both of them keep coming back to, hey, man, I wish I knew where the kids are. Hope the kids are right, man. They, you know, boy, they love the games. It'd be, hopefully they'll be home in time to see the next one. You know, the kind of wishful thinking. While at the same time, like, hopefully we can have this and we're not in the middle of another problem with Oromon. The last thing we need is Oromon popping up wanting to compete. What do we do in those situations? That's something, you know, Oromon says, yeah, we're peaceful now. Hey, we'd love to send some people to participate in this. Do I want to let a bunch of Oromons just walk into Darsh Tobion on my islands and my lands? That's something, you know, Darsh is going to have to be prepared to deal with. So there's a whole lot going on there. Now, after a while of talking and chatting along, uh, many of the tradesmen that Ulrich were speaking with had all left. That issue's uh, been cleared. And Ulrich comes up and, and joins the two of them and joins in the conversation with Mercy Darsh. They catch him up a little bit on what they were talking about. And it's just casual conversation and talking about the events at hand. That's important. I'm bringing up all these little things because they're going to be important down the road. It feels like filler, but trust me, these things I'm talking about will matter. Um, but as they're sitting there ch uh, chatting, um, the door opens once again, and one of the stewards comes quite quickly up to the throne. Mercy sees this and puts her hand on Ulrich's arm, who looks and sees as well, and they can tell by the hurried uh, speed with which the man is walking and the look on his face something is wrong. There's a concern. This is not a friendly, happy call. This man's in a hurry. The steward does rush up quickly, and, you know, of course, my lady, Queen and King Ulrich and Mercy, uh, there are people here requesting to meet you, to speak with you. They are... Well, there's some people here requesting to speak with you. And Mercy's like, okay, who are they? And the steward goes, um, it's... Three kender, my queen. Um, a female and two males. They say that they're from kender home and that it is important that they speak to you. Now you remember that kender home is a kender city that is several days northwest of Serenity. Right? This is several days past the Realm Gate. Um, and it is its own little governing, its own little thing. It's not part of the Southern Kingdoms, but, you know, there's no reason for it to be. No one ever wants to visit. No one would ever try to take over the Kender City. No one's that insane. So it's just kind of up there, and it's a, a safe haven for Kender. And, and Mercy has always made it clear that their people were welcome here, um, and that they should have a problem, that they should seek her out. Uh, there's been times when winters have been hard, where they, Mercy's gone out of her way to send food and supplies up there to help um, in any situation that they were unprepared for themselves. As we all know, Kender uh, focusing on anything serious, not always their best ability, right? Uh, excuse me. So, Mercy's like, well, of course. Please, show them in. I'd be happy to meet with them. The steward rushes back to let them in. Well, Darsh immediately starts removing anything of value on his hands and arms and his purse and setting them behind him under his butt on his chair. And Mercy looks at him and just like shakes his head like, don't do that. And he's like, what? It's Kender. Come on now. <laughs> and he quickly go, they all regain their pose as the doors open and the three Kender come walking in. Now, these three Kender, again, one female and two male. And Mercy doesn't know the two men. Uh, they look like they're in their mid to late 20s. Um, look just like regular Kender. Nothing specific that stands out about them. 
But in the middle is a female Kender who looks like she's more in her mid to late 40s. And Mercy recognizes her as Polly Dragonfly, who is currently the leader of Kender Home and has been for several years since the previous leader passed away through unknown circumstances, probably of his own making. But Mercy has met with Polly several times. Mercy has been to Kenderholm several times since then and, and has an open dialogue with them, treats them as friends, and they are welcome here. But never have has Polly ever come here for important reasons. They visited just because, hey, I'm passing through and I thought I'd say hi. But never that we've come here and we need to meet you and this is official. So Mercy is immediately concerned. Now, as the Kender are approaching, Mercy notices something immediately. And that is that the young mayor, or the small mayor, is not smiling. And Mercy does not ever remember seeing Polly, who, ne- who was always smiling. He's never seen her with a serious look before. Mercy greets them warmly. Welcome. It is a pleasure to have you here. Of course, you are always welcome. And I was told you needed to speak to me. How is it that I may help you? What is it we can do? Polly very officially thanks them for welcoming them and allowing them to visit and says that she wishes that she could be visiting for a much uh, more pleasant reason. But unfortunately, she has in fact come to ask for Serenity's help. Mercy responds, of course, if it's within my power, if you need help in some way, I am happy to do so. And in the back of her mind, she's thinking, is there like a fire? You need food, supplies? What's going on here, right? Like, what, what is it you could need? All these things start flashing through her mind. And Polly says that there's trouble in Kenderholm. Over the past couple of weeks, last few weeks, a beholder has been seen in the area just north of Kenderholm. Now this catches Mercy and Darsh and Ulrich completely by surprise. A beholder? One of the most fearsome and deadly creatures in the world? (laughs) Just hanging out north of Kenderholm? In an area that's mostly known as just open lands. There's, There's no real area or civilization north of Kenderholm to be troubled with. Kenderholm has never had an issue. Polly verifies itself. We've never had an issue with strange creatures or things coming through. In fact, for some reason, we hardly get visitors at all. We look at the guys, and the guy's like, you know what, that does make sense. I haven't seen any either. She's like, I hadn't put that together. But yeah, we don't get a lot of visitors. But we've definitely not seen a beholder. We don't have beholders. We don't have dragons. We don't have those type of things popping up. Polly says that very sadly, several people have already, of her people, Kender, have already lost their lives to the creature. Uh, While attempting to meet him, uh, offering to shake his hands and introducing themselves, uh, they were killed immediately and not given uh, any time to properly introduce themselves, which is not only a horrible, horrible loss, but incredibly rude uh, when meeting a new friend. Polly stresses. And Polly says that while having a beholder for a neighbor is incredibly interesting and also Write a cool adventure. She does have concerns for her people's safety. A creature like that, had it wished to move into Kender home, there's not much the Kender could do about something like that. Or worse, how many Kender will go just out of curiosity 
walking in to potentially be slaughtered. So Polity, Pol she says, Serenity is their only friend. It's the only people they know that has warriors and soldiers and knights and an army, um, and a beholder is beyond their capability to deal with. Kenders have no standing army. They don't. They they may have a sheriff and a militia, but rarely do they ever do anything. And half the time they forget that's their job. But Polly has come seeking aid. Without hesitation, Mercy immediately agrees and says, "100 percent, we're going to help you. 100 percent, we are going to help you immediately." And she says, we are going to immediately, st immediately start gathering folks and we are going to go up there and we're going to take care of this for you. We understand how dangerous this can be. Now, it is dangerous. And she does care for the Kender and doesn't want to see any more of them harmed. But a creature as powerful as the Beholder, that close to Serenity, also poses a threat to her people as well. Just having a beholder in the neighborhood is not something anyone wants. So, she asks Polly to go with Ulrich to their war room. Now, in the war room, they have a huge table in the middle. Everybody gets around. Uh, and in the middle of it is a large map of all the surrounding areas of Serenity and including the city. It's where they used to plot out their defenses and so on and so forth. And she's like... Kenderholm falls on that map. Would you go with Ulrich and show him where on the map, you know, you've, you, the sightings of this beholder has been? And we'd like to get a, you know, some descriptions and stuff, get some information from you so we can proper prepare to go in there and deal with this. And Polly's like, yes, thank you so much. We're so happy you're coming to help. And don't worry, as many Kender as you need will stand by your side in this battle. And Mercy's like, no, 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 no. It's best that your people not be involved. Uh, I'm, in fact, we're going to keep our group relatively small as well. We're not going to march in there with an army because that's just not how you fight a beholder. Uh, this is something I and my allies have dealt with in the past, and I promise you we know what's best to take care of this type of a threat. Polly, a little bummed out at the thought of maybe getting Serenity to help make official uh, Kenderholm uh, uniforms uh, for the new Kenderholm army, which would stand by their side, uh, agrees that, yes, it's probably for the best. And, yes, she'd be happy to go with Ulrich and show uh, that information that he needs. So Ulrich and Polly go off. The, the war room is right off the throne room. So Ulrich understanding, this, uh, we need this information. Mercy's going to get everything else going. Mercy immediately sends for the steward. And begins giving orders. This is what needs to be done. You need to reach out to any of my knights that are in the kingdom or, or close enough to it. Except for Quan. Do not bother Quan with this. Quan is already dealing with something for me. If you'll remember, back last episode when they were telling everyone about Oromon, Quan had been discussing how the Blackwing, their spy organization of Serenity... Uh, very likely him will have to uh, maybe even leave to go into Ormond to assess the actual threat levels of Ormond. He's in the middle of something important that he, that is that, that has to be done. So she's like, don't mess with Quan, but go get every other knight that's within range. Seamus is always here. Go to his inn, get Seamus, get the rest of the ones that are here, bring them in. Also, we're going to need supplies. It's like a five-day trip to get there to the area, to Kenderholm and north of it. We're going to need supplies, we're going to need horses. Get, and the steward's got he's noting stuff down. Yeah, going to get this. I'll, of course, immediately I'll get all this stuff done. And he's immediately going to go and take that information to Shayla, the half-elf who is overseer of the keep, who takes care of all of that stuff for her. 
Lex is funny. She's waiting for you to be a holder, but I'll save the info. <laughs> yeah, poke him in the eye, right? <laughs> how many how many eyes would that be, right? Um, <laughs> that's funny. So, um, Polly okay, goes. They immediately start sending out for for help. Now, she also makes command that she's there to send information immediately to um, the temple, making them aware of what's going on, and that we're going to be sending a group, including herself, uh, north to deal with this threat and requesting assistance from the temple. Now, Mercy knows in a situation like this, Mercy from the temple means Artemis. Um, and to be honest, facing a threat quite this big, she couldn't do it without imagining her friend there at her side. So she sends Quest to the temple for assistance, and also the command to send word to the mage tower they're going to need assistance as well. Beholders are incredibly magical creatures. Some of the most powerful creatures right up there, if not better than dragons in many ways. Um, they're not going to be able to just run in with swords. They're going to need other things as well. So asking for help from the Brotherhood of Magic, totally understandable. Uh, Juan, instead of the name, I can the knight is Juan. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, his name is uh, Xian Quan, Ran's father. Um, so... Uh, after sending this off and the steward runs off all this information, she stops and she kind of turns and looks at Darsh. And Darsh is like, you don't even have to ask. She's like, I didn't think so, but okay. Like, you know, because to be honest, loves Ulrich. Ulrich's a great fighter, great warrior. Uh, but in combat against something of this nature, there isn't another swordsman she would rather have at her side or her back than Darsh. Uh, her and Darsh have fought together for most of their lives at this point and uh, know each other's strengths and weaknesses in combat and how best to use those for their advantage. Um, Darsh is a machine. He is a tank. And that is the kind of person you want to have on your back. So Mercy's happy to hear that uh, he's coming as well. Um, and of course, immediately the entire castle of Serenity bursts into activity. People rushing off to carry out her orders, get gather things together, whole lot of stuff going on. And as Darsh also goes to start packing up his stuff, because they're going to leave immediately, within a couple of hours. It does not take long for Mercy's people to be ready to travel. Because, again, if all of a sudden a threat pops up at a border, they've got to be up and ready to travel to that border. Serenity's large. They're not going to get there in 30 minutes. you know. So everybody's busting off, and even Darsh goes to start preparing for himself, um, with the understanding that Lyra will obviously be returning once the temple hears words, right? But with everybody leaving and carrying off, Mercy has a moment to sit there herself before she gets up and goes to prepare. And she sits there with a dark cloud over her head. Because with this current issue, with the Beholder, and the threat to not only her home, but the Kenders as well, right, obviously, in the back of her mind, there's another threat. There's something else she's thinking about right now. There's another concern that could very well be tied to these current events. But she doesn't say anything about it to anyone yet. She's going to keep it in her own mind, hoping that she's wrong. Now, the Temple 2 broke into activity upon receiving the Queen's message. Artemis only had to look at Percy. The Templar rolled his eyes and cursed, then began preparations for Artemis to go with the Queen. He knew all too well there was nothing he could say or do to keep her there. Remember, Percy 
is second in command of the Templars of the of, of the temple. And so, like, he's the one who's in charge of and the ins and goings. The, the head guy takes care of the temple himself, but Percy's the one that goes with Artemis if she has to go somewhere. He takes care of her personal bodyguard, the knights and so on, the Templars that are that are that group. Uh, so she just, says, this is what's going on. And she just looks at him with just a blank face, and Percy's like, Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm, let me go start making arrangements. Because he knows he can't tell her not to go, right? You can't tell Artemis anything. She runs this place. This is her temple. But man, he does not want her marching north to face a beholder. But he knows he's not going to stop her either. So he's going to do what he can to make sure she's protected. So he goes off and begins setting up those preparations. Dandy, who was there with Lyra at the time when the letter arrived, excuses herself so she could go home and prepare as well. There was no way she was going to leave a threat to Kender home out there and potentially her friends or something as cool as a beholder without going to make sure that they didn't mess it up. Artemis, of course, then makes arrangements to escort Lyra back to the keep as well. Um, Lyra probably knows her way, but, you know, you're new here. You walk down the street. I'll have some people take you back as well. You guys can determine what you're doing. Artemis did not like leaving without speaking to Draven letting him know what was going on. Not as permission, but say, hey, I'm going to go deal with this. You know, he's going to come back and she's going to be gone. And she just doesn't really like how that's going to feel. But unfortunately, she had no idea where he was or how to reach him. So with no other option, she wrote a quick letter for him, leaving it in their quarters. It was decided that Percy and three other Templars would accompany her, as well as two other clerics. Supplies were packed and word was sent to the castle that they would be coming. Several of Mercy's knights were away from the city, taking care of different matters. As we know, we've already talked about it, one of them was all the way out there taking care of the border. That's where he kind of lives out there. And several of the other ones don't live within the keep as much anymore either. They oversee different sections of the kingdom. But several of them still live in there, primarily Seamus, like I mentioned. So joining her would be Seamus, Devon, and Flynn. Remember, Flynn was her squire for the longest time, who's now also one of the knights. And he's also one of the ones primarily in charge of overseeing what's going on in Serenity. Quan, Seamus, and Flynn are in charge of what goes on around Serenity. With the recent Oromont situation... Oh yeah, I missed a step, sorry. Uh, Ulrich would have to stay in Serenity. With the recent Oromont situation, it wasn't safe for both of them to be away from the kingdom at the same time. And I'm sure you understand that makes sense, right? If something happens and Ormon suddenly attacks or whatever, one of them has to be there to lead. They, especially if she's taking all the knights with her that are in range, right? They need Ulrich there to take to, to run that command, or else it would been a little different. And Ulrich understands completely. He's not happy that he has to stay behind while they walk towards this ominous, many-eyed threat, but protecting their people is their priority in every situation, including one of the reasons they're doing this, right? So Ulrich has to stay behind. She's going to be taking a small, just this small group. She's not taking any other warriors or soldiers or anything of that nature. She knew that she finds that Artemis is bringing along four Templars and a couple clerics. The clerics will be beneficial, magic versus magic. They'll take whatever they can get. Uh, the Templars, she's not too happy with the extra manpower to look after. But again, she's also not surprised the Temple won't leave Artemis go all by herself. It might be different if Draven was there. If Draven was going with Artemis, Percy might be willing to say, okay, I know you can take care of her better than ten of us. That's fine. But he's not. So Percy's having to step in and take that. 
Sorry, my camera's getting a little blurry there for a minute. I don't know why. There we go. The Mage Tower sent five mages, including Mercy's friend Fia, as well as the mage Bentius, who she'd requested specifically. We bowed on that for a second, right? She sent to the Mage Tower, listen, we've heard of a beholder. It's very powerful magic. Gonna need some magic to accompany us. I would like you to send some mages. You determine how many are needed and who. But, I need you to send Bentius. The tower mages were confused why she'd requested him. He was a powerful mage, for sure. But his specialty was in runes and spells of protection and imprisonment. They couldn't imagine Mercy would want to try and capture the Beholder. And they were right. One look into Bentius's eyes and Mercy knew he knew why she'd sent for him. He said nothing, but clearly he shared her secret fears. Dandy and Michael were the last to arrive, but as soon as they had, the group set out. The three Kender, of course, joining them. Dandy spent her time with them, sharing stories of adventures, all while trying to get as much information about the Beholder and the situation around Kenderholm as she could. So, <clears throat> we'll take a quick step back and touch on that. They're going to be traveling, and this Bentius mage was summoned. Mercy knows him, obviously, asked for him by name, knows what his specialty is, but says, hey, I'm going to go fight a Beholder. I want you to send me some mages, preferably powerful ones you think would be good in this situation, most likely battle mages or mages who can fight with magic, not just people who create magic items and such. We need somebody who's going to be able to fight against Beholder, but I want you to send me Bentius. Now, she doesn't rule the mage tower. But a request from her, a specific request, uh, she doesn't make a lot of them. Uh, so when she does, the mages, if it's within their power, want to. You know, keeping that friendly partnership with Serenity is imperative for them. Um, and what they're asking for, what she's asking for in this situation isn't out of any, you know, isn't causing them any problems. Yeah, we can send Bentius along. He does know some powerful spells. He could probably help out some, but his specialty, I don't understand why you want him. Because again, remember, mages very often will choose a specialty. Not always. Some of them will just stay as general mages. We've got sea mages. We've got mages who specify in the creation of magical items and artifacts. There's a lot of different types of specialties a mage can go into. Uh, imagine if it's like a video game, if you will, right? You get to that level, you've got to choose which tree you want to go at to. It's, it's kind of like that's kind of how the mages in merge worlds very often will work. You get to a point where you find a passion, something you're interested in, Necromancy being one of those as well. Um, and that's, that's kind of where you're, you're, you focus. Doesn't mean you can't cast a fireball spell or an unseen servant or a magic missile. Still in a lot of regular spells. But you're going to have a lot even more spells that work towards that specific proficiency. So Bentius is in. He's there. Now, I've never mentioned Bentius before. So for those of you wondering, I don't remember Bentius. I've never mentioned him before. But who he is and how Mercy knows him information we'll have very, very soon, and it will all make a whole lot of sense when it does. Now, the trip is going to take, as I said, four to five days just to get up there. It's a distance. It takes them a couple days just to get out of Serenity's lands. They're going to be heading north up the road towards the uh, Realm Gate. They won't be using the Realm Gate, but the roads there will make travel much faster, and they're well populated, so it's easier for them to head that direction and then continue northwest from there. 
Dandy did her best to get as much information as she could, but descriptions of the Beholder were very vague and seemed to change with each retelling. None of the three Kenders traveling with them had actually seen it themselves. It was for sure sighted just slightly northwest of Kenderholm. Mercy, uh, in order to make sure that no threats are brought to Kenderholm, makes them aware, we're going to travel around Kenderholm. We're not going to go through it, even though that would be faster. We're going to go around it, so if we do bump into it or something, we don't pull any danger into the Kenderholm. The Kenderholm are like, okay, I guess that makes sense. Kind of, yeah, okay. When in reality, Mercy is not insane enough to bring her group through a Kender city and expect to make it out of there with half of their belongings. So as they travel that direction, they keep making their way, traveling. going to be four or five days. Now, Mercy and her friends have fought Beholders before. She knows that they're incredibly powerful and deadly. And some of them are very intelligent, because there are many different types of Beholders. There's the standard ones, everybody knows, but there's a lot of other types of Beholders out there. Whether this is an, an intelligent one, a super intelligent one, or one that's a little more animalistic. Is it small? Is it medium-sized? Or is it massive? This is information they can't quite get because none of the Kenders there with them actually saw the beast. But regardless, any beholder is a problem. There's never been a record of a good beholder. This could be different, but most likely not. Now, Mercy, big hope is that they can find the beast before it causes any more serious pain or death. If it does, in fact, come into Kender home, the Kender have nothing that would ever stand up against its power. Um, and at the same time, they definitely want to meet it before it makes, makes its way into Serenity. So they must go and they must deal with the creature before um, anything else can come from it. Um, as, she, as, as her and her companions are leaving Serenity, heading up the pass, she can't help but look back towards her kingdom one last time and hoping that this beholder is not the first threat of many. Now I've got one little bit more snippet of reading to go for tonight before we call this a day. Um, so hopefully uh, you have liked where this is going. I've brought in a big old monster to deal with. Uh, and there's going to be much more to, a, to this than just going fighting beholder and heading home. Uh, this is obviously going to lead to something more. That's how I write. Um, but a beholder threat and serenity is a pretty big deal. But first I want to read one more little snippet before I call it a night. Draven sat by the fire underneath the pale moonlight. He was a long way from serenity in a lo location he'd camped at in the past. He'd only ever been there alone or with Seraph. He'd been there several days, thinking, meditating, and waiting. He was not angry with Artemis. He understood why she'd done as she had. As she'd pointed out in the past, there had been many times he'd done what he thought was best for his family and kept it to himself. He trusted her and her judgment. He was angry at the situation. If only he'd known how different things might have been. Instead of wasting 20 years searching for an imagined threat, he could have prepared Seraph better. Most importantly, their last words together wouldn't have been in anger. He would have maybe even went with Seraph and helped him find Dana. Dina. 
There were very... F so, again, that's something... Oh, most builders do not attack stuff. They just chill in their homes. Why are they doing that? It could be something worth... There you go. That That's a great point. Uh, Lex points in the chat that uh, beholders don't just go wandering around. They normally chill in their homes. So for a beholder to be out messing with things in the middle of nowhere... Uh, is it running from something bigger and scarier or something more nefarious? Uh, a beholder just doesn't hang out in the woods for no reason. That's a, that is an, ex an exemplary uh, a, a point to make there, Lex. That's 100% true. This is completely out of the normal for a beholder. All right, I'm going to finish up here. There were very few things in the world that could move so silently that Draven wouldn't hear them. As Draven, as Draven sat there with his eyes closed, deep in thought, the man was suddenly there, standing across from him. Draven knew he was there, even though he'd not heard a sound, even though he could hear no breathing, and could hear no heartbeat. I knew you would come, said Draven, slowly opening his eyes. I knew you'd know where to find me. I have always known said the man in the hat. But now the time has arrived for us to speak. Yes, agreed Draven. I think it is long overdue. And so that's where we're going to end that one. Um, oh, Catmaster, hello there. What type of storytelling is this? Oh, I'm glad you asked. A little recap here. So um, I have been writing and running Dungeons & Dragons campaigns for close to 35 or more years now. Yeah, it'll be 35, 35 years this year. And I've created my own world called Merge Worlds, and I've been writing and running the same storyline for the vast majority of that time. So I started telling that story here every other week um, on YouTube. It is also available on iTunes and Spotify and all the places you get podcasts as an audio podcast. I just basically take this, turn it in audio form, and put it up there. So this is episode 102 of uh, a very, very long story that I've been sharing. And I've been sharing what the characters and what they've... It's been one cohesive storyline. And we've reached a point uh, that I'm now writing new material. So the story that you're hearing now is a story that's never been played, but that I have been had written in my head for a decade that I, I wanted to get to and share that story. So... Merge Worlds is a passion project. It's my favorite thing I get to do. I hop on here for about an hour or so uh, every other Tuesday, and I tell the next part of the story. Uh, if you'd like to check it out, every episode is available here on YouTube as a video format. Um, and Sometimes I show minis and maps and everything, and I talk a bit about the mechanics behind D&D and how it affects the story um, and answer questions as they pop up. Um, but mostly it's just me sharing a story I'm very, very proud of. Uh, and like I said, it's also available for free on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere that you get your podcasts. Uh, if you have any of those accounts, it'd be awesome if you wouldn't mind swinging over there and giving it a follow and the stars and the reviews. Check it out. See what you think. Always looking to bring more people into the story. Lex says, maybe a team beholder run from home because he did not want to do the dishes. My goodness. My goodness. That is an unsettling sight. Or thought, I should say. Unsettling thought. To think that a teenage beholder, uh, oh my goodness, imagine it was a teenage goth or emo beholder. Like an emo beholder who ran away because it didn't want to do chores. Boy, that's going to haunt my dreams. I'm totally going to have a beholder with an emo haircut now. I'm going to have to figure out a way to, to get one of those drawn. 
<laughs> but yeah. Um, that's the story for today. I usually try to keep it around an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, so that way it's not too hard for people to catch up. Uh, there are some of the earlier episodes much longer. There's some that have been two and three hours, but uh, now I try to keep them a little bit shorter so people have an easier time catching up. But uh, that's going to do us for today. Um, so uh, the schedule changed a little because I had to skip last week. Uh, there won't be Emerge Worlds next week. We're going to do it every other week moving forward. So next week there will not be Emerge Worlds episode, but the week after that, every other Tuesday is Emerge Worlds here on YouTube. And let's see, tomorrow I'm over on TikTok. Uh, or not TikTok, shit. I'm over on Twitch. Anybody like to come over there? I'm actually streaming Neverwinter right now, which is a Dungeons & Dragons uh, MMORPG game. So uh, that's a lot of fun to watch. If you like D&D, come on over and hang out. Um, and then f this upcoming Friday is my birthday, May the 26th, 2023, if you're listening to this years down the road. And I'll be doing an extra long stream here on YouTube. Uh, probably Minecraft and maybe some Jackbox. So it'd be cool if you all would come by there as well. But I'd like to thank you all once again for coming to my story and my podcast. I appreciate you hanging out with me and uh, sharing some time with me and giving me the opportunity and the audience to share this story that means so very much to me. Uh, I'm excited about what's to come. Uh, we're about to intro into a, uh, uh, let's just say an ordeal that I think uh, fans of the story are really going to enjoy. Okay? But that is going to do me for today. Again, thank you for joining me at Merge Worlds. I hope you will come back in two weeks to watch again. Uh, and hopefully you're enjoying what you're hearing. All right? Thank you all so very much for coming. You have yourselves a very great day. Mm -hmm.